Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Running for the Roses. This is Lucas Rohde, a little bit different uh, episodes this week due to some scheduling conflicts between me and Ryan. We're actually going to be doing two separate podcasts this week. We are unable to record together. So this one will be our week seven review. I'll go over a lot of the major games, go over our roses. And then on Thursday, we will be pub- or Ryan will be publishing a week eight preview. Um, that will just be him on there. He'll go over the, the, the big games coming up this, this coming weekend. Also, we'll be uh, handing out our best gambling picks um, as well. And then hopefully next week, we will get back to a regular recording schedule with both of us on there. We hope to do our mid-season reviews where we kind of go over our biggest surprises, biggest disappointments. We're also going to be covering our or updating on our win total locks that we did at the beginning of the year um, and see which teams that we were right about, which ones we were wrong about, and how we're doing overall. So just a quick update on there. So it'll just be just me, unfortunately, for this podcast. Uh, but we'll hope to cover all the all the best games from this weekend. And I uh, just want a quick shout out and thank you to all of our listeners. Uh, this has been all the episodes we've launched this season and has been our most listened to in-season episodes that we've had in the three years we've been doing this. It continues to grow year by year, um, and that just keeps us motivated to keep bringing y'all really, really good content. Once again, you, can, you guys can help us grow this podcast even more. Just make sure to like and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Leave a review. Um, also helps us out. And obviously, if you have any other college football sicko fans like ourselves, feel free to to uh, to share and and recommend our podcast uh, to that. We'll keep doing this. I think for as long as long as we're growing this uh, podcast, we're going to keep uh, we're going to keep moving on. So thank you once again, and also thank y'all. For, for kind of dealing with some of our scheduling conflicts that we've had this week. Um, so let's get into it uh, with our week seven review. First off, want to hand off my rose to one of the first games this week that I think kind of really set the tone for the type of week of college football we had. And I'm going to the Stanford, <clears throat> Stanford Colorado game. My rose is going to go to uh, Alik uh, Iomaner. Uh, who just had a monster game for Stanford, 13 catches for 294 yards. Stanford comes back from being down 29, uh, 29-0 at halftime to win 46-43 to in double overtime at Colorado. What a great building block we're in um, for Troy Taylor in his first year at Stanford. Look, we all acknowledge that Stanford was probably going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. Has largely been true. But what a way for them to not give up down 29 nothing on national TV. You come back and you beat Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffalo. And on Colorado, on the Colorado side, what a deflating loss. This was a, a win that they really, really needed to become bowl eligible. They are still four and three. They still have five games left. But this was one of those games on the schedule. You're like, if if Colorado's going to make a bowl game, this is a game they absolutely had to have. And no excuse being down 29-0 um, to a one-win team at the time uh, in Stanford. So uh, really, really great win for Stanford. Really deflating loss for Colorado. And we'll see where, what that kind of what that team kind of looks like 
once again, I still think a great job was still being done by Deion Sanders. We have to remember this was a one-win team one year ago, arguably the worst team in the Power Five, one of the worst teams in all of college football. The fact that they're sniffing bowl eligibility in year one, I think, is something. Um, however, I think looking back at this, if they only win five games after starting off four and two, and you look back as this one uh, for them not to get a bowl game, I think it w- still is going to leave somewhat of a sour taste in the mouth for Colorado fans. But going back, my rose going to a league, Ayu Maynard, having one of the best games for a wide receiver this season. And as we recap, just going to probably stay in the Pac-12 because we had our biggest game of the week uh, in college football was right in this conference. Oregon and Washington, this game did not uh, or definitely lived up to the hype. It was two very, very good offenses, two of the best quarterbacks in college football, and they did not disappoint. Bo Nix, 33 of 44 for 337 yards and two touchdowns. Michael Penix, 22 of 37 for 302 yards and four touchdowns. So the biggest difference was just really converting third downs. And it was kind of a point of controversy with Oregon and some of the times that they decided to do it, especially late in the fourth quarter. Oregon, 0, of, 0 for 3 on fourth downs for Washington was two or three, was able to keep drives going. I think that this is still potentially a preview for the Pac-12 championship. I know Oregon lost, but look, that was their first loss of the season. It was their first loss in conference. They still have everything to play for. And I think these two, uh, specifically, specifically Washington, now puts themselves as, I think, the presumptive favorite, not only to win the Pac-12, but probably to represent the Pac-12 in the college football playoff. And the big reason I, I'm, I think these two are still a presumptive is just from what we've seen out of USC, not just this week, but over previous weeks. And we'll move on to that game. USC absolutely gets trounced by Notre Dame, 48-20. to 20. First off, really nice bounce-back win, I thought, for Notre Dame after kind of a rough patch where they lost two out of three to Ohio State. And then obviously a week or two ago to Louisville getting crushed on the road. Nice bounce back for them. Their defense was outstanding. They forced five turnovers, including Caleb Williams having arguably probably the worst game of his career, throwing three interceptions. They set up their offense in very, very advantageous field position, and they were able to take advantage of it. I mean, Notre Dame just on the day only had 250 yards total offense, but they didn't need a lot because they were largely starting deep inside U.S. territory on a good chunk of their drive, specifically in the first half. Um, But look, we talked about this with USC. They really hadn't been tested, at least from an opponent's standpoint. They had close games, but against typically inferior opponents, we wanted to see what they would do against a team that had relatively relatively the same amount of star power that USC had. And the the first test, they, they failed. Um, not only did their um, defense obviously give up 48 points, though not on their own, the offense was dreadful going against probably their best defense that they had faced this year. So a lot of question marks still facing USC. But look, they're still undefeated in conference play, uh, 4-0 and uh, in conference, but yet first big test, first major fail. And that's why I think right now if you're tiering the Pac-12, it is clearly, I believe it's Oregon and Washington as in that tier one. And I think you have to put USC maybe in their own with, um, I think, another team that might be creeping up there. And that's going to be Oregon State. Back-to-back, huge wins for them 
against Utah, and then this past week against UCLA. UCLA was really, really good on the ground, had 287 yards and 54 carries. But Oregon State just made uh, life not very fun for uh, Dante Moore. Had uh, a few, had three had three picks that really killed their momentum on a handful of drives. And then on the other hand, Oregon State DJ uh, Ungungale, very very clean game, fourteen to twenty four for two hundred sixty six yards and two touchdowns. Like I said, Oregon State now finds himself after losing that game on the road in Pullman three weeks ago. They now have uh, beaten uh, two ranked opponents in back to back weeks, and I think. Right now, I would put them just slightly behind USC, uh, potentially uh, being in that third spot in the Pac-12. Um, and it's going to be fun for Oregon State because their schedule does lighten up a little bit. And then they get Washington and Oregon in back-to-back weeks to end the season. Could be either uh, potentially battling for a Pac-12 spot or it's going to be a really, really tough spoiler for those two teams who have obviously big goals of not only winning the Pac-12, but also making the college football playoff. And then another team just to hit on in the Pac-12 that I think is really starting to show something, and that is Arizona. Um, Arizona, I think, one, I think they found a really good quarterback with Jaden Delara being hurt, and Noah Fafata had over 300 passing yards again, um, very high completion percentage, and they absolutely rocked Washington State, 44-6. to on the road, and this was after Arizona had two really, I thought, impressive losses. You look the week before, they probably should have beaten USC. They lose to them by two points in double overtime. The week before, they take Washington all the way down to the wire. They only lose by seven points, 31-24. to And I think this is vindication for what Jed Fish is building. I think he's done a really, really nice job now in his third year. They have a legit chance not to only make a bowl game, but maybe win seven or eight games. And their team, especially if they play any more contending teams in the Pac-12, I don't think this is really a team that you want to play right now um, because they're really kind of hitting, I think, on all cylinders. And they're going to give you a game every single time, especially if you have to play them in Tucson. So really nice things coming out of Arizona. If we transition over to the other Coastal Conference in the ACC, the one ranked – Matchup we had in there, North Carolina against Miami. I think there was a lot of question marks, specifically with Miami. It was, how are they going to bounce back from what was an absolutely dreadful loss that they had to Georgia Tech, where it was basically just ego and their own selves that prevented them from winning that football game and not kneeling. And then for UNC, this was just another test. This is North Carolina team for real. Can they really compete with a team like Florida State? potentially for an ACC title. And I think UNC just keeps passing test after test that we've had this year. They'll still have many more. Uh, but Drake May, another four-touchdown four game. Uh, Tez Walker can see why that UNC really fought hard to get him eligible this year. One, they should because it was a complete joke by the NCAA why he was not eligible to begin with. But two... The talent is very, very apparent. Six catches for 132 yards. Um, It just adds a whole other dynamic to this offense. And UNC ran all over Miami, too. 235 yards, averaged five and a half yards per carry. They're still undefeated. Miami now, I I don't know. If they get Clemson this this next week, 
But man, that this loss just made that Georgia Tech loss loom so much bigger. If let's say they had just escaped Georgia Tech last week. Okay, then this loss is not a huge deal. It's on the road against an undefeated opponent. It's your first loss. All your goals still pretty much ahead of you. Just take care of business. But now you're five and two. You now have two losses in ACC play. And I don't think you make the ACC title game. Two losses this year. Not with with the way uh, Florida State's been looking. Duke uh, and also North Carolina. Um, even Clemson, who Miami has to play next week. Um, you know, it just, I'm interested to see how Miami responds. This has been a program that over these last how many years, when they've been faced with huge adversity has not responded well to it. We saw it last year. We saw it in the latter years of of Manny Diaz. We saw it under Mark Richt that when this team kind of gets punched in the face, it has a really hard time getting back up. Um, and this was another punch in the face for them too. Um, yeah, North Carolina at one point had a 17-point lead in the fourth quarter. This was North Carolina basically just showing them who the superior team was in this regard. Um, and then we go to another team that kind of had another letdown, Louisville. After having a huge win, uh, the best win of the early Jeff Brom era, they knock off Notre Dame at home. They go on the road, take on a one-and-four pit team. Um and they out yardage pit by about 150 yards, but had really bad turnovers, three turnovers um, and all. And Pitt takes advantage and wins this game 38 to 21. And I think this is just kind of the team we kind of thought Louisville was the variability. It was, we thought this team could be easily with their schedule be 10 and two. They could also be like six and six. They're six and oh coming in this game against a one, four opponent. Um, and lose by 17 points on the road. Once again, only their first loss, but definitely not one that I think we expected them to have, but still very much still in the race for an ACC championship berth. And then I and then kind of going uh, a huge let up um, by Virginia Tech. And the main reason I'm bringing this up, Virginia Tech was struggling earlier in the year. I'd picked them, I believe, to cover. I think their win total was five and a half. I was pretty high in Virginia Tech. Was not feeling great about that um, so far this season. And however, they get a 17 point win against Wake Forest. I think they might have found something in Kyron Drones, who has taken over since Grant Wells got hurt at quarterback. He was 20 of 29 for 321 yards and three touchdowns. And you look at their remaining schedule, I think a bowl appearance is still very much there. They got to play Syracuse. Syracuse. Just looks like a team that's really, really struggling right now. They got just absolutely crushed by Florida State, 41 to 3. They basically have no wide receiver depth right now with three of their top re- receivers, including Amari Gaston, out with injury. Um, and they also have um, some depth issues on the offensive line. And then they still have, Bo- and then Virginia Tech still has another game against Boston College and Virginia. I think a bowl game might be really, really uh, huge. The reason I'm bringing this up is, you know, Virginia Tech is a program that has such a uh, proud history um, and tradition. Just really would be nice to see them take a, a nice step forward um, this uh, uh, this season. So um, nice win there for Virginia Tech. We'll transition over to the Big 12. Not too many huge matchups. Both Oklahoma and Texas were off this week. 
But Friday night, we had we had some treats. Um, <laughs> on, or this was a Thursday night game. Uh, we had a treat on thir- Friday and Thursday night. But uh, this game, Houston and West Virginia, coming into this season, I do remember a lot of a lot of people, kind of us college football sickos, circled this game because both Dana Holgerson and Neil Brown, the head coach for West Virginia, were both very much on the hot seat coming into this year. And we thought, hey, there's, they both have a bye week after this game. Could the loser of this game potentially move on from their head coach? Uh, but West Virginia has been a pleasant surprise. Four and one, they were um, two and zero oh undefeated in Big Twelve play coming into this game. Meanwhile, Houston was kind of reeling a little bit, you know, with with really bad losses to to Rice um, and other teams. They were two and three. You know, Houston last year had a really, really disappointing season in the American Athletic Conference, and it looked like this was going to be just another crushing loss for Houston. Um, West Virginia goes down and they score with 12 seconds left to take the lead. And then Houston just gets an absolute miracle. Virginia uh, basically bats down the Hail Mary. It falls right into the hands of a Houston wide receiver. And Houston gets a huge win, um, especially for Daniel Holgerson. They're now three and three and just a brutal loss for West Virginia. They were looking at starting at five and one, still being undefeated in big 12 play. And especially for Neil Brown, uh, a guy who was on the hot seat, they did not make a bowl game last year. This would have been a huge start to the first half of their season. Now they're back at four and two still, I think overachieving, but interested to see how both of these teams respond after this win. And then talk about two other teams responding to adversity and look like they've kind of figured things out this year. Um, I'm looking at Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Iowa State obviously had a huge mess on their hands, losing a ton of players to towards the gambling scandal. And after a one and three start, including a game where they only scored seven points on the road at Ohio, I think a lot of people started to have questions, not just about Iowa State this year, but I think it is Matt Campbell shine kind of starting to, to simmer a little bit. Should he have left when he had the opportunity to? Um you know, replacing guys like Brock Purdy and Brees Hall, maybe they, it, it, maybe it is almost impossible to replace them. And all they've done is is kind of one since then. They're now four and three. You look at their remaining schedule. There's an opportunity for them to make a bowl game. And I, honestly, I would be surprised if they didn't at this point. And I think they found really something in Rockwell Beck at quarterback. And I think there's a nice core there that not only is going to set them up to win more games this year. But I think it's setting up potentially another window for them in the next year or two. And then Oklahoma State. I had been on Oklahoma State all season, basically saying, I don't love the vibes there. You know, they had 20 plus guys, main contributors transfer out of that program. And the start of this year does not start off well for them. Um, they have no idea what they're doing at quarterback. You know, Mike Gundy's playing three, four guys every game. They get absolutely boat raced at South Alabama by 26 points at home. But all they've done is won since then. Uh, wins against, uh, at the time, a ranked Kansas State team. And last week, a ranked Kansas team. Uh, I think they found something in Alan Bowman at quarterback. And I think that consistency and that stability that's a quarterback position has just elevated everyone um, as they win a nice shootout game against Kansas. And now they're 4-3, and 3-1. Three, three and one. Uh, in the Big 12, um, and I think uh, 
things are looking the trajectory, not like I said, of these programs is not only looking better for this year, but I think if you're a fan of these teams, you're having you're more hopeful for the next couple of years to come. So really nice turnarounds by Iowa State and Oklahoma State in the Big Ten. Uh not a ton of huge games. I guess the biggest game of the week, you could argue, was Iowa-Wisconsin. This was kind of a de facto Big Ten West championship game. And Iowa does kind of just what they always do. Um, and as you can hear the sadness in my voice as a Badger fan, they win this game 15-6. to This game was ugly, really from the get-go. Wisconsin, on their first drive, it looks promising. They drive it all the way down the field to Iowa's 13-yard line instead of kicking the field goal to go up 3-0 on fourth down. They decide to go for it on fourth and one. They get completely stuffed. Wisconsin then proceeds to have four three-and-outs right after that. And to make matters worse, they give up an 82-yard running play, really the only play that worked offensively for Iowa all game. Um and then a couple drives later, Tanner Mordecai, starter for Wisconsin, gets knocked out of the game. Finds out he has a broken hand, going to be out for the foreseeable future. So Wisconsin had to play with their backup, Braden Locke, uh, the whole second half. And, and look, Iowa did what they wanted to do. I mean, they threw it. They had six completions for 37 yards in the passing game. Basically, once they got the lead on Wisconsin and kind of knew Wisconsin was going to have trouble moving the ball with their starting quarterback out, they just played the field position game. They didn't try anything crazy. And then they brought toward Wisconsin could not flip the field at all because um, they could not figure out Iowa's defense. Wisconsin, I think, started five drives in the second half inside their own 10. Um, Torrey Taylor is a weapon, the punter for Iowa. He is a legit weapon. Dude was just hitting massive. I think he averaged over 50 yards a punt. Had, like I said, had pinned us inside our own 10, I think five or six times, and just killed any momentum that our defense, um, uh, that Wisconsin's defense would create. But Iowa wins it um, 15 to 6. Uh, they, like I said, in the driver's seat now um, in the Big Ten West. Wisconsin, meanwhile, uh, Without Tanner Mordecai, you know, they're going to be playing a backup here for, I think, at least the next three or four games. And interested to see where that goes. Clearly a team that's still just transitioning in this first year with a completely new offensive system and a relatively new defensive system. Interested to see if they can make incremental improvements. And also with Iowa, um, their schedule is fairly manageable. I think they play Rutgers uh, and, then they, and then just are remaining four against other Big Ten West teams. Uh, to see if they can hold on to the lead. Had a couple, um, I think, kind of shocking wins. You had Rutgers uh, came back from down 24-6 to in the fourth quarter. Uh, they come back and score 21 unanswered against Michigan State to win that game, 27-24. to Rutgers being one of the better stories, I think, in the Big Ten. You know, they're 5-2 and two right now, and they get Indiana this week. They beat Indiana. They're going to be bowling um, for the first time. It, in, in a while, where they actually qualified during the regular season. I know they technically went bowling, I think, in Shiano's second year when they were five and seven because the team had to bow out due to COVID. But this would be the first time, I think, since 2014, their first year in the Big Ten, that they would actually become bowl eligible during the season. Um, but I think Shiano's been slowly building that program. I think defensively, they're really good um, and they don't try to beat themselves offensively. Uh, but kudos to Rutgers for coming back in that game. 
And then also Illinois winning a shocker on the road at Maryland. I think there are a lot of people that thought that Maryland might be the fourth best team in the Big Ten um, as a whole. They had the way their schedule lined up potentially could have won nine games this year. So a really tough loss at home. And for Illinois, I think this can kind of flips kind of their trajectory of their season, kind of the way Oklahoma State and Iowa State have. Now you look at they were two and four. If they would have lost the game two and five, who knows what the mentality is of that team. You have a great uh, game-winning field goal to knock off Maryland on the road. And now you get to host Wisconsin on homecoming, who's bringing in a backup quarterback who had only just scored six points the previous week before. You might be feeling pretty good. So um, interesting to watch there with Illinois. Otherwise, not much else going to the Big Ten. Michigan and Ohio State and Penn State all rolled against their, their three opponents. Um, setting up, obviously, a huge matchup this coming week between Penn State and Ohio State. Uh, and then moving on to the last Power Five conference down in the SEC, um, probably the biggest game this week, uh, this past week, Tennessee kind of wins a rock fight against Texas A&M. I think Tennessee kind of has impressed me a little bit this year, especially in a game like this where their defense and their running game really had to take control. I think Joe Milton only threw for like 100 yards. Uh, the Aggies did a nice job taking away a lot of explosive plays from Tennessee. Uh, but Tennessee's defense really came out. It has been fairly good all year. They forced three turnovers. Uh, they only they hold the Aggies to 277 yards. Um, and now they're 5-1 and one with a big showdown this week. Alabama coming in uh, could be a very, very interesting game. Um, but I think the biggest thing, other big story too, is Texas A&M. Just the inability to get wins against teams that are of equal talent to them. And once again, we're we're talking about A&M and them disappointing expectations. They're now four and three on the year. They still have games. Leave against, uh, you know, they still have LSU on the schedule. Um, you know, this was. Um, yeah, this was a, a tough loss for them, and I just don't know if it gets any better. Once again, the offense is still the issue. 277 total yards. Uh, and now they're looking really down the barrel of another 7-5, maybe 8-4 and four at best type of season. Um, it just, once again, it just doesn't look like anything has really improved there, despite them bringing in top flight talent year after year. Um, and then moving on to maybe another disappointing team, so Alabama still undefeated uh, in conference play. They're still first place in the SEC West, but man, oh man, have they made it look way more difficult this year than in years past. They had a 24 to six lead against Arkansas. It looked like they were just going to kind of run this game out uh, and get out of there. Arkansas makes a, 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 four, a, court, a court comeback in the fourth quarter, gets it to 24, 21 actually has the ball in the final minutes to potentially tie it or take the lead. Um, Alabama's able to hold on. But like I said, just feels like they make it way harder on themselves than what they normally do. They kind of play with their food with some of these teams. Now, look, they did out yardage Arkansas 415 to 250. So maybe this game should not have been as close. But like I said, just feels like Alabama's playing with their food a little bit. And like I said, big test coming in um, with Tennessee, especially with them losing to Tennessee last year, how do they respond? Especially the way Tennessee's defense has looked. Um, I think uh, they'll be able, with 
with an Alabama office that maybe doesn't scare you as much. This could be uh, a little bit opposite than what the game was last year. That was 52-49. You just had explosive plays after explosive plays. Um, this Alabama-Tennessee game might be the complete opposite this year. Um, over in, uh, Back over in the SEC East, Mizzou, 38-21. Just a disastrous fourth quarter for Kentucky. They give up. They were up 21-20. to um, They give up 18 points. Just an ugly day kind of all around. And I think maybe the biggest disappointment this year for Kentucky is just that this passing game has just not developed. You brought back in Liam Cohen, who did really awesome things with this offense two years ago with Will Levis. You brought in Devin Leary, one of the top transfer QBs in the portal. And you thought, hey, this could be a really, really good uh, pairing. It just hasn't really worked out. Leary this week, only 14 to 27 for 120 yards. Like I said, Kentucky had three turnovers on the day. They had 14 penalties. When you're a team like Kentucky and you kind of need to win on the margins, those are not recipes for success. Meanwhile, like I said, Mizzou, great fourth quarter, uh, outscoring them 18 to nothing. And look, I think Mizzou's really trying to make a case that they might be the second best team in the SEC East. And a good rebound after a tough loss last week against LSU. Uh, meanwhile, Florida gets its fifth win of the season. They beat uh, South Carolina in a shootout 41 to 39. Shout out to four Wisconsin quarterback, Graham Mertz, at a really nice game, 423 yards, four touchdowns, and just a massive win for Florida. Um, I think the goal for them is to make a bowl game. They absolutely needed that win because you look at their last five games. They have a bye week this week. Then they've got Georgia versus Arkansas at LSU, at Mizzou, and then versus Florida State. Four of those five teams are ranked in the top 25 right now. Um, and uh, only two of them are true road games. So I think this was a must, must win for Florida if they wanted to be playing again in the postseason. Um, and that kind of wraps up the, the Power Five. Just some group of five notes. Um, really, really impressed once again with Air Force um, out in the Mount West. They beat, uh, you kind of had this changing of the guard in the Mount West, I feel like, in consecutive weeks. You had you know, Fresno State look like they were the team that beat, then Wyoming beats them. Um, at home, then Wyoming goes on the road, and then they lose to Air Force. Air Force right now six and zero. They're four and zero in conference, and just I think an awesome story because this could be a legit chance that we see a service academy in the New Year Six Bowl taking that Group of Five spot. I think Air Force. You look at their remaining schedule, fairly fairly manageable. Uh, you know they've already taken. They don't have to play Fresno State. They've already taken care of Wyoming. Um, I think their toughest game left might be UNLV, crazy enough. But, you know, 6-0, and 4-0 in Mountain West play. They get they play Navy this week. Um, but I think Air Force looking like a legit, um, looking like arguably the best group of five team uh, in the country. Um, so kudos to the Falcons um, and continuing what I think could be potentially a magical season for them. Um, well, that pretty much, I think, just covers, like I said, a pretty quick review of just some of the, the top games this past weekend. Um, like I said, you will get uh, Ryan uh, will be doing a week eight preview um, that should come out on Thursday. This should be out probably tomorrow on Wednesday. Um, and once again, thank you to all that that listen. Once again, wherever you get your podcast at, please uh, you know follow or subscribe to the podcast so you can get it uh and if every time you get notified every time that we publish it um and yeah just want to thank you all for listening looking forward to this week's 
uh, this week's games, Ryan. I sure will. I assure you, will do a fantastic job previewing it. Um, and yeah, we'll hopefully be be back next week um, to cover, uh, to recap week eight, and then to preview week nine. Um, thank you to everyone listening. Have a good night, and we'll talk to you soon.